Hello, and welcome to Fighting Over the VCR. My name is Nancy. And I'm Matthew. And tonight, we are going to talk about two movies from the early 80s. Later in the show, I'm going to talk about the fun workplace drama, 9 to 5. But Matt's going to start us off tonight with a discussion of Cloak and Dagger. Before I get started, I'd like to... um do a little bit of what you would call jibba-jabba, <laughs> if that's okay. Um, first of all, I'd like to say this is episode 25 Yay. of our show, and I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, I think 25 episodes is a really good milestone for us hobbyists here. And um, Agreed. I want to thank you, Nancy, for all the hard work you put into this. Thank you, Matt. And thank you for all your hard work, too. Thank you. You know, when we came up with this idea to do this podcast, um, one of the things that I really felt like would be a positive for me um, in doing it was um, it was a really good way for me to kind of look back on my life in a little bit, Mm -hmm. because part of this show is to not just talk about the movies, but how they influenced us and who we are as people and whatnot. And I think that would be really good kind of moving forward for us. I mean, I have a son and, you know, I'd hope that maybe someday he could listen to these and potentially kind of learn about me or maybe something, a detail of my life I'd never told him or something like that. And, or he'll just laugh at me and think of how much of a fool I am. But, um, there's a variety of options there. Oh, obviously. (laughs) And like, for example, growing up, you know, I was a fairly studious person. So, um, when, you know, certain homework kinds of homework assignments would come up, I would, you know, I would probably do them like closer to when they were assigned and not necessarily when like the night before they were due. I know where this is going, (laughs) but, um, you know, there was quite a few times when Nancy would, um, up all night. Was up all night. Before. Oh, and not just that. In but Matt's room, because that's where the computer the was. The computer was in my room because I used it quite often. Because we were very, very fortunate to have a personal computer at our house in the, in the 80s <laughs> and 90s. And I can recall Nancy writing college papers at 2 in the morning with the lights on in my room. I think by the time I was in college, though, the computer had been moved out to the other room. No. No. For most of it, though. No. I remember definitely being in the other room later in my college career. So, so, yeah. So, I mean. He's getting at the point. He's, okay, go ahead, Matt. (laughs) I know what you're going to say. So, you know, when it came to watching these movies this week, I watched one about a week ago. The other one I watched, I think, last night. And um, Nancy managed to squeeze both those movies in today before we recorded. They're very fresh in my mind. I watched both of them within the last six hours. It's fine. I think, I mean, it just goes to show, you know, this is just how different styles. People work differently. Some people work good under pressure. Some people work good last minute. How how many times am I squeezing these movies in, you know, at five in the morning, the day we're going to record before going to work or finishing the movie in my car on my laptop? I'm not going to comment on that, but uh, But it's, it's, you know, and also (laughs) folks. I've been insanely busy at my job oh, for like three months. Whatever so. your excuse is, that's fine. Well, it's mm-hmm. been true. <laughs> Very few weekends off, so. Free <laughs> time has been tough to come by, but anyways. This long Thanksgiving weekend, it's been great to be able to watch a little of this, a little of that, and then do our 
podcast homework. Well, like I said at the beginning, thanks for, th- thanks for all the hard work, Nance. You're welcome. Because you, 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 I mean, I just watch these movies and I try to be somewhat entertaining on the microphone. You edit them too, so. I do Nancy, that Nancy, part, Nancy, yeah. Nancy is, Nancy stepped up with that. Ah, thanks, Matt. So, thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. I appreciate that. I'm serious. No, I'm, in all seriousness, I really appreciate the hard work that you put into oh, this. And, I, and it's been I, fun. So, I really enjoy it. I've learned a lot on how to edit. I hope our listeners don't think I've um, botched the editing process too much. Hey, you know, it's been a learning curve. It's not like you've ever done this ever before. Nope. And you do a good job, so thank you. You're welcome. All right. <laughs> so... Um, we're going to get started with a little movie called Cloak and Dagger. Yeah. came out in 1984 and stars Dabney Coleman and Henry Thomas. Now, I watched this movie quite a few times as a kid, probably on, on TV somewhere. And um, I'd like to start by saying it's kind of a, it's kind of an, a spy thriller. Yes. In a sense. That, but it's it's kind of it's kind of not your typical spy thriller. But whereas like the main character, the main antagonist who's caught up in it all, is eleven years old, and it actually has like and something that I never caught on as much to as a kid. But in my rewatch, I did is it's really about a father and son who have where the the wife and mother has died. Mm-hmm. And they're both grieving and dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And the way that Dabney Coleman's character... Um, Which one? Uh, Mr. Osborne <laughs> is dealing with it as he's kind of diving, putting a lot of his life in his work. He works mm-hmm. for the Air Force and in development. And then um, his son, Davey, who played by Henry Thomas, who we follow in this movie, is dealing with it because by immersing himself in in a lot of games and like role playing games, mm-hmm. kind of like Dungeons and Dragons, but it's yeah. all military based. Yeah. And one in particular is called cloak and dagger based on this character named Jack Flack. And throughout the movie, he talks to Jack Flack. Like he's like an, like a, um, an imaginary yeah. friend almost. Yep. Um, and Jack Flack is also played by Dabney Coleman, which is really cool because it kind of show, puts this play on heroes. Like mm-hmm. he like wants to, and he wants to hang out with his dad, but his dad is grieving and working. He even asks his dad to play the games with him. Yeah, and his dad is just like, "No, Davy, these games are silly. They're me- you know they're messing with you." But a lot of it is about like this grieving process is kind of like what is going on underneath. But throughout the throughout the movie, it's basically Davy gets caught up being in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he's also kind of a boy who cries wolf kind of kind of kid where he lives out these fantasies of being a spy in a sense that he um, like goes to his friend at like the video game store and is like, Hey, give us a mission. Give us a mission. I would argue though, that we don't have real evidence of him crying wolf before this movie started. So I don't really know how true that is. He may have talked about the adventures that he and Jack Flack 
and Lady Ace, is that her name? Yeah, Lady Ace. Um, that they would do, and maybe because um, his dad was just so clouded with grief, he wasn't really paying attention. So it's just like, oh, yeah, 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 another story that Davy's telling. So his dad wasn't making a clearer delineation between, oh, he's just talking about, like, all the games he's playing, like the pretend world, and then versus hearing how fearful he really was when the bad stuff started happening. Right. Well, and I, I would agree, but... I mean, it's you not kind like of you same, kind of get it, that vibe though from when like when he talks to police, they're like, "Okay, kid, what's going on?" It's not the same like, way that Chunk and Goonies have the reputation of being a liar. A liar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not the same. Yeah. So he gets caught up in this kind of espionage kind of thing, where he's in the wrong place at the wrong time, sees a murder happen. And the person who gets murdered um, is trying to escape the people who are trying to kill him and hands him a video game that is a copy of Cloak and Dagger, but it has some some secret um, information on mm-hmm. it. And the whole rest of the movie, um, the people who killed the guy who handed him the tape are hunting down Davey and trying to kill him mm-hmm. for, to get this video game. And his little buddy Kim is in the mix of all this too. True, and which which really plays out at the end. And I don't want to give up the whole movie. Yeah, but I think well, can I interrupt real quick? Yeah, go ahead. I wasn't sure what I was going to think of this movie watching it now. I have not seen it since the mid eighties. Um, I talked to Jack about it the other day, and he said, "Oh no, I watched it a few years ago when it was on. I've seen it a bunch of times." I'm like, mm-hmm. "Oh okay." And I remember you and I did watch it several times, but it's definitely been thirty something years since I've seen it. It's probably been at least twenty for me. I was a little concerned, you know, how cheesy is it going to be? How whiny uh-huh. are the kids going to be? And how much are they going to bug me? And what's the pacing of the movie going to be? But you know what? I was actually surprised. The movie was paced very well. I think, I think so. you know, it it was about an hour and 40 minutes and other than maybe some slow parts in the beginning, um just kind of setting up who the characters are and whatnot, but really it did move pretty quickly. There was a lot of action and kind of like what another thing we've talked about before, um I think Sherry mentioned it in um the John Hughes episode, movies that take place during a fairly short amount of time. This yeah. movie takes place, I think, over three, two or three days. Maybe it, not even that. Yeah, it's pretty quick. So, I yeah. mean, the plot moves... No, I think, it's, I think it's like two days. Yeah, so it moves yeah. fast. Yeah. Um, like I said, the, the the big thing I had probably some of the most problem with was just some of the whininess of the kids. Well, they are... But I mean, they're they, are, are, they are 11 and... and eight. She's eight. Oh, yeah. She's, she's little. And I think that like in my rewatch of this, I can see like, okay, there's a lot of things in that are very far fetched. Like, why isn't he immediately going to the police? Well, he kind of tried, and that's where I kind of feel like the whole cry wolf kind of thing kind of happens, where where people just think that he's got he's he's grieving over his mom, so he's making all this stuff up in his head. And, and and I think that that's, that's because of his dad. But he also, I think, is in this place where he doesn't feel like his dad will ever listen to him because his dad's not paying attention to him. So what is he going to do? And he just is 
diving into it as part of his grieving yeah. for his mom. Yeah. And he, you know, he really could have gone to lots of different people to get help with this. He didn't need to be the, he didn't need to be the, the, the person who solves all of this. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think that's the most kind of unrealistic part of it. Like, like fleeing the scene when someone dies, but at the same time, the other part of this movie that is really like kind of insane is the fact that these guys just start shooting at a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and and the and the the like ab- like the crazy violence that they're not just trying to do but even implying in some points. Like there's one point in the movie where a guy has him cor- has or where one of the henchmen has Davy cornered and is like I'm going to blow off your kneecaps and then shoot you in the stomach and watch you bleed out. And I can't wait to do it. Yeah. I mean he's yeah he's- I mean, really, it was really it was and gross. Saying, and, and like we're we're watching this, and we're like, this can't be PG, but it's a PG movie, <laughs> and it's like the the violence against the children seemed really excessive. Yeah. But and like, why would you like like what? moral asshole would just all of a sudden be like, I'm going to kill you guys. I mean, how much money were they trying to get for these plans? I mean, it's ridiculous. But again, (laughs) this was a movie that, you know, in the 80s, I think, and, and, you know, I've I've thought about this numerous times where, and I think I've mentioned this on the show previously, where it just felt like in the 80s when we were growing up, there were so many, like, even low budget or maybe not low budget but like not wide release like military themed oh, movies yeah. i mean red dawn iron eagle war, war games war games all these movies that all had to do Top with gun. Mil- <laughs> the military or cold war yeah. anti russia i mean comedies like spies like us i mean i mean yeah. all the stuff from the 80s that you know we couldn't really if you were a, a young male in the 80s, you really weren't going to avoid seeing this stuff. I mean, nope. we had G.I. Joe and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. And and it's like, why was I watching this movie? But, you know, it was on. And that what was what was available. And, and that was what we were surrounded by. And, and there are other things about this movie that I think are really kind of cool. Well, the still, appeal, <laughs> the appeal I think too was that you know he had an Atari twenty six hundred. He was playing this game on that kind of a cartridge, which we, we had. had a, we had yeah. an Atari twenty six hundred. I think I know several kids um, when we were growing up had ga- that was the gaming console well, and that act- you and, had. And actually, like the game in the in the movie is a real game. That Atari was going to put out, and it was going to be called Agent X. Mm-hmm. And then when they were, they got the rights to like put this in a movie, and like they made the deal. Atari made the deal with the movie company. They just renamed the game Cloak and Dagger mm. to go with the movie. Yeah. And then, and it's funny because in the movie, Dabney Cole as Jack Flack goes, "Remember when I was Agent X?" Mm. <laughs> you know, in the movie. So I mean, there's yeah. that tie there. So so yeah, the video game aspect of it was probably something and, I and that, had gravitated early, towards. And that was pretty early in video game. I mean, look at how it look at the way the graphics of that game are. <laughs> I mean, it is so funny to 
Yeah. So, I mean, we remember because I mean, we we didn't, we never played cloak and dagger as kids. But. I didn't have it, and 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 I in my research I found out that actually the the version of it that you see on the screen in the movie is actually like the arcade version. The mm. version that was on the Atari twenty six hundred was actually a little different, different. Mm-hmm. but um, it was probably the game aspect of it. You know, kind of like war games. You know, yeah. the same kind of vibe there. I mean, the movie has a similar tone. Yeah, but um. And a similar pacing almost. Yeah. I think so. So, and, Just Dab- younger kids. and, and Dabney Coleman. Dabney Coleman, he's <laughs> in the, you know, but I, um, I think the specific like spy element and where it's really kind of like a, a rogue agent kind yeah. of dealing. Cause that's really what Davey was like. He was kind of acting out this like mission that yeah. he was on. Um, and, and, you know, we were talking about why why wouldn't he have gone to the cops and given the game cartridge to the authorities or whatever. I think at that time, Davey probably thought that the only person who could have helped him was the game the gamer guy that he knew who worked at the store, Morris. Morris. Because Morris was a code a coder, right? Or a yeah, he, he he worked at the he worked he he was like developing a game or coding like in his back office, but he worked at the at the at the game uh, store. Uh, played by William Forsyth, who was probably who was in my Boardwalk Empire show for a well, while. Well, and he's a very well-known, well-respected actor. Yeah, um, you can't recognize him though. You know who he reminded me of? No. Do you remember the the later seasons of Mad Men when Stan Rizzo grew a beard? Oh, that's yeah, exactly kinda. who I remember. Thinking. He also, well, he also reminded me of the friend that they go to in War Games to ask mm-hmm. about back doors. Yeah. you know stuff like that. Um, with the beard and everything yeah. like that. But um, he's probably, like, next to um, Dabney Coleman, he's probably the most successful actor in this movie, <laughs> you know, as his career went on. But um, but you're right. I mean, he prob- he was probably the one guy that they felt like they could go to because they got a video game cartridge, and he was the guy who sent them there. He he was like, yeah, yeah go to Techtronics for me. I got a, mi- I got a mission for you. Go get some Twinkies yeah. and some catalogs for me from Techtronics. Yeah. I just don't think they realized how dangerous the wannabe Magnum P.I. in sweatpants guy would be. <laughs> um, and then the... Um, than the Latino man who was also one of the goons trying to chase him down and kill him. Well, I mean, I think I don't think they got the gravity of just how dangerous I just the situation was. I think I think the most shocking thing to me at like at this age watching it was that they were shooting at a kid. But as like a kid watching this, you it's almost real. it felt like oh my god, I'm in this exciting adventure. Yeah, <laughs> and, I mean, and Davy. You know, he had this whole kind of fantasy in his head of being this spy. I mean, he he would go he carried a water pistol that he filled with red ink, so when he shot shot it it made made it look like blood. Mm-hmm. He had a quote unquote grenade, which was basically a softball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um and he had some real walkie talkies that he got from Morris. Yeah. I think the other thing and then if we wanna kinda jump ahead a little bit, the the other the other cra- thing that seems crazy to me um, was um, he had a walkie-talkie and his lady ace Kim Kim Kimmy I think yeah, was her name Kim um, also was, had the other beeping wa- for two hours yeah also had a walkie-talkie um, 
at one point she gets kidnapped by these guys and try they try to work out a trade for the cartridge and um Davy um, fools them by giving them a fake cartridge, but still saves her. But while that was happening, they put a bunch of plastic explosives inside the walkie-talkie. Now, now, didn't you think it was also silly that Jack Flack didn't warn him at the store? You got to make sure it looks similar to the other one, like peel off. But that Jack sticker. Flack was in his head. I know it was what he would think. He just didn't think of it. I know. Uh, so that was that was the only thing I felt like. Hmm. He keeps getting advice from Jack Flack, but it's just himself saying it. <laughs> so the idea that they would put like all this plas- plastic explosives inside this walkie-talkie to blow up this little girl—it was like, oh my god, yeah. no, <laughs> this it, is like the worst thing. That, I mean, no was, one would do insane. that. <laughs> it, it was insane. I mean, yeah, I think I think one of the more realistic scenes that they had was. Um, when he drove the car out of the parking garage. Oh, and he couldn't reach the pedals? I thought that was actually done really great because yeah. an 11-year-old who's never tried driving before in a, it, in, in, a, in a parking garage where you're having to make, make a big circle the whole time like oh, yeah. to not be sure. In a car that, you know, those cars from the it was early a huge 80s, Cadillac and, those big yeah. steel tanks. I mean, the way that that car ended up, it's like, yep, that's what I would imagine an 11-year-old yeah. driving it for the first time. That's how it's going to look. Yeah. Um, you want to go over favorite characters? Or? Well, anyway, I real I in the rewatch of this, I I just want to say that um, I still think I I really kind of liked rewatching this. It was fun. To I'm kind of rewatched it. Um, it, it. It exceeded it, my expectations. It, it, I mean, it, I feel it, like I'm te- making fun of it a little bit, but it still exceeded my expectations. Well, and I think the thing that's really in- bizarre about it is like you think that with a with a PG rating and a kid in it, that there would almost be kind of a comical element of it, of like, like a farce kind of thing. Like there's something that's not that they the kid thinks is going on, but is not really going on, or something like that. But this is really kind of a drama. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say because you're worried about you know a kid being caught up in the middle of this issue and it being having a serious tone. Another movie that I'm not sure if we're going to talk about it, I would like to at some point, is Witness, where the kid is kind of like the main. Yeah, but I mean, the, but that's he's not, not the main. I mean, it's really more about kid, adults, but it's he's more a about huge the part adult. Of it. Yeah, but and, but he, there are there are grown ups hunting a, down a little kid. But in that's that movie. And, that, and that's a, a real like grown up situation though from the very beginning, oh. and it revolves around a grown up character as the main character. That's true. Samuel was the, I always think of Samuel as the main is kind of the main, main guy. I don't think so. Anyways, but anyway, A little um, diversion. Sorry. No, it's okay. So um, my favorite character in this movie. I wonder if it's going to be the same. Maybe not. I hadn't really thought about this, so give me a second because I was really kind of like focusing on like a lot of other aspects of the story, but probably my favorite character in this movie, I want to say Kimmy, but it's there. Is it, she had some like annoying aspects to her. My favorite character is the dad. Yeah. It's probably dad. Daphne Dabney Coleman. Yeah. Um, and maybe but, that's because I'm watching this as an adult. 
Maybe as a kid, he wouldn't have been my favorite character. Yeah. But he there's he has a few really key moments. He, uh, he, he's the very... He's like the... I think that the... Like, I I would... I almost wish, like, there was more scenes with him. Like, yes. With him. Yes. Because I think that the... Like I said at the beginning, like, this movie is really about the relationship of the uh, of them grieving the mom. Because that's really what they're going through. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of, like, the situation that Davey puts himself into would not have happened if... Oh, if his mom was alive. If his mom was alive or if he wasn't, you know, grieving with his mom. Now, and that's not to say that, you know... Trauma causes kids to LARP <laughs> or anything like no, that. No, 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 that's, that's it's, not... it's it's not that. It's more just that this was his way of kind of 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 kind of dealing with the loss of his mom. Yeah, Jack Flax became a coping mechanism. A coping mechanism, and he he really kind of got into it. Well, I have two two scenes that stand out as my favorites. I'm just gonna list both of them, and one of them is a. Dabney Coleman is the dad scene, and that's after he comes home from the uh, af- after the police bring him home yeah. or whatnot, and um, it's in Davy's bedroom, and Davy's like, "I hate you," and he's like, "Look, I know you don't mean that. You don't really hate me. We're going through a hard time, but look, heroes come in all sorts of forms. Yeah, sometimes a hero is someone who puts food on the table or." you know, goes to a job and does this, you know, heroes can sometimes lead some pretty boring lives. And I thought, wow, that is really smart and profound because the hero we're seeing him kind of idolize is this big adventurer. But we know later that they kind of end up being like a similar person or the same person. Yeah. So yeah, that, that scene really got me here. Get you right there. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. I have another scene that I really, really like, but you, why don't you tell me your, um, I really like the scene that always stood out to me was um, the boat. the The boat scene was it always. I've always remembered the boat scene. Um, but uh, probably my favorite scene is that whole scene in the um in the stairwell when he sees oh, the early murder on. happen yeah only because like it's shot really interesting mm-hmm. and like the Where way the body it's falls done down. And, the, and the way it's i mean that whole scene is done really well mm-hmm. and i thought it was it's almost hitchcockian and very much so. um in a way in a way i, I almost feel like, like it was kind of inspired of, from that well i think vertigo it totally stole that shot yeah from and um you know, I just thought that that scene was really cool. Um, there's some, there's a scene in the movie at the end that like is kind of cheesy, and like the visual effects of it are terrible. With the uh, fire, with the fire, in the and the, yeah. yeah, that scene yeah. is kind of not great. But um, I also kind of like the the trade off scene when he meets him at the Japanese garden. Mm-hmm. And then he shoots him with the red, with the with the red ink and all of that. Those but, villains were nasty. But, but there, I mean, 
Those villains either were really slow, or those are two of the fastest <laughs> kids that's ever. Exactly because what Jack there's, said. A, there's a shot of them where they're literally like ten feet away from them, oh, and then yeah. the next shot they're like a hundred feet away yeah, from them. Their, it was their so reflexes poorly done. were not very sharp, and yeah, their running was pretty poor. Even though the guy was in sweats and running shoes, like the Magnum PI wannabe guy, totally. Could have run a little faster, no. but no, no, no. No, so my other favorite kind of action-related scene is um, from when he jumps off the bus and gets on the boat in the river. Yeah. And all the tension on the boat, and then he's with the next to the elderly couple, and then <sighs> yeah. then he jumps off. And, and then even continuing into, like, the museum part, like yeah. that whole 10-minute sequence, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember this. I was even saying to Jack, I'm like, Oh, yeah. Someone's missing a couple fingers. I remember that now. Yeah, the old lady. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah it was, I mean, I, I'm glad you picked this movie because um, it was fun to rewatch. Yeah. I mean, and, and and it's a movie that growing up, I'd never really, really, I didn't really pinpoint like a lot of things to that, like, I really like influenced me. But then as I rewatched it, I was like, I was totally that kid who would, like, when I was, you know, would put stuff in my backpack and pretend they were, like, whatever, <laughs> and, like, I'm going on an adventure in Didn't my you backyard. Did you always have a G.I. Joe in your pocket? Or? No, I never had, I wasn't, I didn't ever had, always had a G.I. Joe in my pocket, but I remember, like, being, like, this will be my gun. It was, like, two sticks and, like, stuff yeah. like that. I mean, it was, like, and, and just having those, like, neighborhood adventures mm-hmm. where you're just, like, Riding your bike around like you're some sort of like spy, spy, or in like a action movie or something yeah. or whatever. I mean, this was one of those movies that really kind of influenced that kind of like mentality, which is great. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fun to like role play and fantasize when you're a little kid because yeah. I mean, a how else do you entertain yourself or your friends? And b it, it helps you know be creative. Yeah. So I don't think some of the. Um emotional trauma stuff was as obvious to us watching it when we were were kids but i mean that's what stood out to me this time oh absolutely the whole idea like really the when you start looking at the motivations of people you know as we're older now and analyzing movies the motivation for him to to be doing a lot of this stuff was the loss of his mom. And he says like how much he misses her and his, in in that same scene where they're in his room, he's like, I miss, I miss her so much. And you know, his dad's like, Dabney Cole is like crying. He's like, I miss her too. You know, it's, it's, it's it's really kind of a father son kind of movie. And you know, it's, it's, it's done a lot with the exception of some of the, um, fantastical aspects of it that we were kind of, kind of talking about um it's i think it's really well done you know and i mean it's not something that you know is oscar worthy or anything like that but for a for an you know yes did you have an opinion sir okay (laughs) apparently molder has you know he's he's like i grew up playing mario brothers i don't understand the graphics in these games (laughs) maybe you know what I don't remember if you said Sherry really enjoyed this movie or not, but I'm wondering if you didn't grow up watching it and you. I think this played, is a movie where played it, other kinds of games growing up. If it would make a difference, I think this is a movie that if you were to just watch it now, 
it doesn't live up to some of the high, yeah. some it doesn't really stand the test of time for the simple fact that things are so different now yeah but I would be very interested to see how someone would try and remake something like this. Mm. But I don't think that it would be as possible with the internet and social media and all this kind of stuff. I mean, we're so well connected and everything and it it just wouldn't happen. Someone, someone would, and, and especially with like, Homeland Security and all that, you know, the oh, minute yeah, the minute something the you're not running through an airport like they are in this movie, or the minute something happens, um, the cops you're going to get red flagged and someone yeah. and something and the FBI is going to end up on your doorstep anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, the the airport security, the multiple levels of airport security would act in a much swifter manner in real life than they yeah. do in this movie. No, one, no one's smuggling out any secret plans on a. Or bombs. Or bombs on an arcade game. <laughs> so anyway, that was Cloak and Dagger. I really enjoyed watching it. Thank you, very, you know, for watching it with me. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but uh, we're going to move on to... Mulder, can we move on? Do you mind if we move on? You want to sit here? Here, get in your chair. Come on. So while I try and coerce Mulder onto my lap... Um, we're going to pass things on to another Dabney Coleman movie. Yep. That, Where he is not a hero. <laughs> he is not a hero. And in fact, this kind of started the string of villainous characters for him. Um, the wonderful and highly charged movie, mm. 9 to 5. Oh, man, 9 to 5. A glorious film that came out in 1980 starring Dabney Coleman, Dolly Parton, Lily Tomlin, and Jane Fonda, and it's a workplace—it's dr- a workplace comedy, but there's some dramatic elements about it. Lots of drama. Um, yeah. There's kind of a heisty quality about it, but not really. I mean, there's there's a lot that happens in this, but this movie is before Me Too. <laughs> this movie is, you know, long before it was understood that women really deserve a heck of a lot more respect in the workplace than they seem to get. Pre-Anita Hill. Pre-Anita Hill. um, It just... It's it's something. And, you know, the the three main characters, Dolly Parton, Lily Tomlin, and um, Jane Fonda, they they all work together on the same floor um, at this one large company. I think it's called Consolidated or something. Consolidated. And... Dabney Coleman plays like the main, the VP, who's their, their, their big boss, um, Franklin Hart, and he's the kind of guy that failed upwards. He just they they don't. I mean, Lily Tomlin at one she trained him. She trained him like she and she had been. She was the one who was hitting the glass ceiling. You know, you're told early on she was due for promotions and just kept getting passed over, basically because she was a woman, mm-hmm. and. For as smart as she is, for as much responsibility as she has, she's still the woman that Franklin Hart will open up the door and bark at her and say, Violet, get me some coffee. And, you know, really rude, and she just has to suck it up and take it. Yes, sir, I'll go get you your coffee. And, you know, Dolly Parton plays... Okay, Dolly Parton plays his secretary... But then Roz, the evil office spy, is, is his, technically his administrative assistant. Isn't there a redundancy in that role? Um, Why are there two people in that role? She, 
Dolly Parton's job specifically was to like get him coffee, run but, him, run, run errands for him, take notes, call people for him, basically do his job. And uh, Violet, not Violet, no, Roz. I, know, I know Violet was the backup person to get him coffee when Dora yeah. Lee was not there. But she was also a supervisor Roz a was bunch of people. his assistant in the sense that she had more power, and she was basically a company spy for him. That's all she really was. We didn't see her do... Because she would put out memos on his behalf of things that he didn't like, and she was... She, and she he, was a... She was like a Dwight Schrute to him being a Michael Scott. Well, and I think also... Office like, reference. I think also she was kind of like... If he made... A decision she was the one to implement it but that and that's why at one point when things kind of change and get better at mm-hmm. near the end of the movie um she's also not there <laughs> none of that stuff would have happened if both of them were there correct there's no way because she was she wanted to execute whatever so his he will he had, was whenever he had a plan or a program or a rule um he might have made the rule, but I think she was the one to enforce it. And apparently she was also the one that would hide in the bathroom stalls and report back any office gossip that yeah. she would hear and just, yeah, she's awful. So anyways, those are those That's two ladies. The and then, and then Jane Fonda is a brand new employee named Judy who had never been in an office environment before, had been a housewife her whole adult life. So this is her first job. And, you know, there's some very funny montages kind of early on of her being overwhelmed, not knowing how to type. And the Xerox room scene is probably a very famous scene from this movie where this Xerox machine just kind of goes crazy. And, you know, pages literally flying in her face and paper flying all over the room. Kind of reminiscent of um, in Mr. Mom when the toilet paper's flying all over in the bathroom. Kind of, Kind of, yeah. just paper everywhere. But these ladies are all kind of trapped in this company and feeling the wrath of Franklin Hart. And the specific ways in which Franklin Hart terrorizes Dora Lee is he, he's just so gross with her. He he's wants to have, with, he's he wants, in love with her. Yeah. He, he wants, wants to have, have an affair, affair with her. her. In fact, at one point she said, <coughs> um, he told her, oh, we're going to go to a conference in San Francisco. And I don't know how far they actually got. but They got to San Francisco and there wasn't a conference there. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he doesn't have any respect for the fact that she's married. She's told him multiple times. She even says, like, swifter men than you have tried to chase me and no one's caught me yet. And she's, she's so polite and sweet about it. But he doesn't listen. He's very, very, very aggressive. In fact, he's a... Um, Sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot. bigot. Yeah. Um, So the women um, and and Dora Lee, there's um, there's rumors that she and Hart are having an affair. So she's kind of not respected by everybody in the office. She's shunned. I mean, she. she, No one will have her. No one will have lunch with her. No one wants to really associate with her or anything like that. And you know, Judy as the new employee hears about this. So she immediately has like a disrespect mm-hmm. for her, for her without even really getting to know her mm. because her husband left her for his secretary. Yeah. But, but the miscommunication of this affair gets cleared up 
in the first act of the movie, and then Doralee, Violet, and Judy um, all kind of come together in their common frustrations with Frank Hart and are just totally over him. And there's a really great scene where, and I'm just going to jump ahead and say this is my favorite scene in the movie, where after they all get drunk and then decide to go to Doralee's house and get high, Mm -hmm. they all share their fantasies of how would they get revenge on Hart. And the three different kinds of scenarios, I mean, that scene is just spectacular. I think that I love that whole all three seg- all three of them together. That whole like sequence, it's the best. I think that um, looking back, that whole sequence where they're um, fantasizing about it, especially with um, violets, because it <laughs> has the the um, Disney influenced an- animation. Mm, it's supposed s- to be like Snow White. Yes, um, I think. Th- in, in in the rewatch, I realized, like, that scene is the scene that, like, made us like this movie as kids. Oh, sure. Like, those fantasy scenes were, yeah. like, were like, oh, man, this movie's so great. And um, that made us really kind of enjoy watching it as kids. Yeah. Because, I mean, 1980, I yeah. mean, I was one when this came yeah came yeah I mean, I mean we saw it in the early 80s but i mean we saw it pretty we saw it pretty young and you know the, the theme song of course is super catchy it's you know dolly parton's song and you know after the women get to have this little night of fantasizing about what they would do things kind of go sideways within the next day or so and they all start to happen things start to happen <laughs> and then they're put into a situation where uh they kidnap him <laughs> and they try to figure out how can we, how can we make some change? Well, well, they, they do something to him. He finds by out accident. by accident. Something is very, he accidental. finds out about it and they have to somehow figure out a way to get him not to fire them and, and find dirt on him so that he, yeah. they can blackmail him. And him being held prisoner is hilarious too. I mean, the whole contraption that he's in. and The MacGyver kind of thing that they create to the garage to door him. opener and just the whole, yeah, that whole thing is hilarious. But it's also, you know, he deserves it. He's so evil. So obviously, you know, I really like that fantasy scene. I don't know what your favorite scene in the movie is. Um, obviously, the fantasy scenes are, <laughs> like I said, the thing that really kind of stood out to us as kids. Mm-hmm. Um. And there's still, it's still really kind of probably my favorite whole scene. I mm. mean, all each individual one is mm-hmm. pretty good. I think the other thing, the other scene that really stands out to me is um, kind of a personal confession. In a sense that um, this movie probably started kind of a deep-seated love I have for young Dolly Parton. Oh. Because um, I just... There's something about her in it that other than like the like the traditional physical yeah. parts of her <laughs> that everyone she's, likes. She she's my favorite character in this movie. But she, she's incredibly she, charming. There's a, there's something about her in this movie that um, probably like as a kid like mm-hmm. seeing you know, I was like wow she's such who wouldn't like this lady you know yeah. she's nice and everything but um um. It goes beyond that, though. I just think, like, when she was younger, she was just 
beautiful. Oh yeah, no, she's. <laughs> she was. I just, I just really liked Dolly Parton. So, um, all the scenes with her in this movie—they're the best scenes—are some of the best scenes, especially when she confronts Hart after she finds out that he had been spreading rumors that they were having an affair. Oh yeah, and. She just lays into him in like the best way, and it was great. And and that is one of the best scenes. And that's even before the fantasy scene, or mm. before anything else happens. She no really, no that's after the fantasy scene. No, it's right before. No, right before. Um, that's right because because that's why they go to the bar. Okay. They go to the bar. That's and not then, when she hog ties him with the phone wire. No, 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 no. That that's that's after. Yeah, okay. she she lays into him and just gets him into a chair, and and like he's like all freaked out, mm. you know, in the chair. It's before the hog tying scene is at when she, he starts saying to her, "I know everything yeah. that happened." Yeah. No, it, it she she really kind of lays into him and and I think that's one of the That's right and then he's he's like egging her on like oh my god I love it when you're when you're feisty like this and it's yeah. just so gross and she's like I have a gun out there in my purse and I can turn you <laughs> from a hen, from a rooster to a hen in 2 seconds <laughs> I mean that, those those scenes are great so um I really I really kind of like those scenes and then and then I think the scene another scene and I'm sure you're going to bring this up which is a great kind of thing is the montage of them improving the office. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I'll, I'll let you talk about like how what happens and and how we get to that point because I think that's one of the things about this movie that, from a social aspect of sure. it, really stands out. Well, I mean, again, this is kind of more dealing with the plot of the movie, but they initially think that they only have to hold him hostage for about a week, but then when it turns out that the the records that they need to get are going to take a lot longer, they have to hold, keep him locked up for four to six weeks. So in the meantime, they're like, well, why don't we change this place from a gross, sterile environment where people feel kind of imprisoned and institute some very basic things at first, like it's okay to have a picture of your family on your desk or have a plant or things that are a little more personal to you. And then escalating that to, we're going to allow people to have flexible work hours or a daycare center, a daycare center or work part time. And we're going to take the time clock away. We're going to do all these like really radical things. Now they also want to do an equal pay thing, which later gets shot down again. But yeah. Um, you know, Dora Lee signs all of Franklin Hart's letters anyway, so she's signing his signature. And, you know, they're essentially giving him credit still because they've got this whole illusion that, that, he's still that he's still there. And, you know, one of the funniest things to me was when they were um, pretending that he was in the office and because there was really only one main person that would ever want to see him, and that was Roz, his spy. Once she was out of the way, I mean, like Dora Lee says, He's a very unpopular guy. Like, no one really wants to be around him or meet with him or talk to him. So it's not that big a deal for him not to be here. So they were able to implement all sorts of stuff. And, you know, I think that was pretty amazing to watch as a kid. Like, wow. I mean, I think it gave us the false idea that office politics and office culture can quickly and easily change with the stroke of a pen. And so much can happen in a short amount of time. Cause I think in both of our realities, we've seen that change is very, very, very slow. If at all possible. Well, I, th- I, I'm, 
I, I wanted to bring this up okay. when we talked about this. And um, Jane Fonda really pushed to have this movie made. Mm. This was one of the movies that was made under her... One of the movies that she had made, I think, with her production company. Mm. And um, people who know Jane Fonda in the past, she's has a very um, strong... She's an activist. She's an activist. She has a very kind of um, liberal uh, uh, political view, which is very in line with um, some of our listeners and the two hosts of the show. She's in her 80s, and she's getting arrested every Friday, right as of now, like this week. Protesting climate change. Yeah, she's yeah. been arrested every week for yeah. like two months now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And... Um, I really felt like she was her and the writers and the people who made this movie were really making a statement, not just about women in the workplace, but just work environment in general. Yeah. And when you're watching this montage, you see people being able to really kind of bring some of their home life to work, which really, I think you know, enhances morale. Mm -hmm. You see them painting the lockers, changing mm -hmm. the co colors of the office. I mean, doing things that seem really simple to make it a better work environment. And after they do all this, you know, Hart gets all this credit, but then the, the chairman of the board <laughs> comes and awards him for all this because they saw in a six-week time, they saw a twenty percent increase in productivity and absenteeism had completely yeah had all totally these things dropped. all like, these things that people changed. were actually happy to come to work. What and, a concept! And the whole point of doing that in the movie is to put make that point. Like if you do these things, these are the, what the results could be. Yeah. And I think that that's something I believe. I don't know that you oh, believe. Yeah. Hopefully, some of our listeners believe that. You know, when you have when you treat your employees well, as best you can, productivity will go up. And yeah. if you treat employees like slaves or shitty product, you know, morale and morale is down. The quality of work is going to go down. Yeah. And you can't just crack a whip to make people work hard or do their jobs better. No. Sometimes it's about accommodating. Yeah. And um, I and. You know, lots of businesses have changed over the years, but a lot of them have kind of gone back to this archaic way of working still, too. Yeah. And whatever the, you know, your bottom line ends up wanting to be, I mean, you're not, you're dealing with people. Yeah. And, and I really, as an older working adult, this whole kind of storyline impacted me a lot more than just oh, the yeah. whole... You know, how, how do we get away with with not murdering someone? Yeah. Well, I think um, a concession that a lot of companies nowadays are making that I know I can't take advantage of just because of the nature of the role at my job. And I don't think Matt really can take advantage of it either. The concession is if people can work from home part of the time, then you are getting those luxuries and comforts that they don't need to provide at the office. Now, I... I have things that make me more comfortable at my work. Like my desk is very personalized. And until I'm told to 
take down the 20 pictures I have or whatever. Like, I'm going to keep them up because that's what makes me feel comfortable. I, and that... I, my, me too. I mean, I can, I can decorate my office how I want and make, and put up pictures of my kid and, mm-hmm. and I can, um, and, and I do have the opportunity to do some work from home and my, my work has been very, has been very flexible with some of my hours. Yeah. But, um, a lot of people don't get that. I don't. And, and not really, I, I would, I would wish that people, that companies would understand that, some of the things like that are that are you know talked about in this movie as improvements for office for an office the programs they have i mean hell there was a couch in the middle of there do you know how great it would be if there was like a couch in the office just to like relax for a 10 minute break or something it's a nice comfortable place to sit for a while and then and then one of the programs which i thought was kind of it sounded bizarre but ended up i mean i think probably was a real program where someone was like one of the people that you see a lot in the movie is this lady who's an alcoholic and you see her drinking at her locker like before she goes to work just so she could deal with the day and then at the end of the movie she's like sober and she's like yeah that great program you had to help you know yeah us deal with alcoholism was you know has changed my life i mean (laughs) the personal letters you sent me to encourage me i know wow i mean maybe that was you know a little i i have never heard of that but 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 it maybe it did happen and that's great and my showing care for your employees really helps people i haven't heard like where i work i haven't heard of like a specific like drug or alcohol rehab program but they have like kind of overarching hr programs where you can call certain phone numbers or whatever and get connected to resources or whatever but i mean it's it's not it's not the same as what they were saying in this movie this movie made it seem like frank hart was personally invested in this one alcoholic woman's journey to to being sober (laughs) now now um if we can we're going getting off you know going changing direction a little bit um the the director of this movie colin higgins has um done another like has a has has done a few movies that um one of which we're going to talk about later but um one of his most famous movies is called harold and maude Oh, I didn't get to rewatch that before. And um, there's definitely he ha- he has a style, mm-hmm. and some of his style is kind of like a, an extreme com- comedic kind of dark comedy kind of kind oh, of style, perfect. right? Well, and like so I think like go- kind of going like going a little beyond like you know with like the fantasy scenes where they talk about how they're going to murder him and mm-hmm. stuff like that. That's very much in line with like his style. Mm-hmm. So taking some taking some uh, liberties to like go and like make it like Hart's writing the personal letters and stuff like oh, that sure. to her and everything still, like that you know. is kind of kind of going a little out there. But yeah, I thought that the the comedy aspect of this movie is oh, definitely it's on great, point. and everyone has got great comedic timing in this film. I mean, it's I mean even the scene where Hart has started to escape from his um, bondage. (laughs) And when Judy's ex-husband shows up and he's been stalking her and all this crazy shit, and Judy has to run upstairs to go check on Hart and sees him 
hanging from the contraption. I mean, just that whole scene alone cracked me up, too, because the husband all of a sudden, the ex-husband is, like, super judgmental and rude about how, oh, I see this is where you're going now. And she's like, look, dude, you left me. It's not your business what I'm doing, but you don't even know what I do anymore. And here she's panicked, too, that someone is seeing what they're doing. Just uh, silly. Well, uh, let me correct myself. Colin Higgins directed this, but he wrote Hot Rail and Mod. Okay, so. that's fine. Yeah. I believe we both said Dolly Parton's our favorite character in this. Um, I really like Dolly Parton in this. Jane Fonda's character in this is is great. Um, I believe, I really I like believe she. Tal- I believe I, she and um, Dustin Hoffman use the same hairstylist in when he's in Tootsie. Their hair probably, is almost exactly the same, probably. which I think is hilarious. And then, um, I, I mean, and Lily Tomlin's great in this too. I mean, there's it's funny. There's aspects of a lot of. I think I think that we, there are our favorite characters, and we talked about our favorite scenes. Um, I don't know if you wanted to talk about this, but there's one thing that I wanted to mention in this is, um, you know, a lot of the, we're we're talking about three women who work in an office, mm-hmm. and um, I think we can't really uh, talk about this movie without talking about our mom. Oh yeah, because our mom worked for years in an office Mm -hmm. and um, probably in very similar situations Mm -hmm. to all three of these women Mm -hmm. at different stages of her working career. I don't think she ever had to hogtie a boss, though. She might not have had to hogtie a boss, but she probably (laughs) thought about it. And she probably could have done it if she really wanted to. (laughs) And I don't know if she's ever shot a gun at any of her bosses. I'm pretty pretty sure she hasn't. But um, We know for a fact she has not. Yeah. It's I, I I always think of mom when yeah. when I watch this movie. And, oh yeah, because you know similar time to I mean after she had me she had stopped working and then went back to work later. Mm-hmm. Um, you were in what first or second grade when she went back to work? No, no, it was like third grade because okay. I think she was still doing like teacher's assistant kind of stuff when I was in mm-hmm. second grade. But I think full time, like at least part time or or almost full time, she it was when I was in third grade. Gotcha. You know, I just think about not that. You know, I, I'm hoping that she never was in a situation that Dolly Parton was in. Mm. Um, I know for a fact that, you know, at times she felt like Judy did sometimes, and Lily Tom and uh, Violet did sometimes. But um, I just really, um, I've always thought about, you know, mom and then, you know, now you and my wife and, Mm -hmm. you know, working in an office and, you know, the drama that you see in this office is not that different than the drama that goes on in real life. So, oh yeah, it's, it's, I hear about it and we all have stories. Yeah. So, so there's, there's a comparison I thought of earlier and you have the complete right to argue with me about this if you want. But I feel like 9 to 5 became a vehicle for Dolly Parton to make her even more mainstream than she already was in a similar way that Desperately Seeking Susan was to Madonna. In that they both kind of occupied the genres in which each musician already was in. I mean... Nine to five has a very kind of country Western feel to it. And I don't know if it's just because that's who Dolly Parton is. So like even her fantasy was of hog tying him and this kind of like cowboy kind of quality. And of course her music, 
you know, her theme song, while it's maybe not like country western, it has that kind of country pop vibe of the early eighties. Well, and she and she was she she only she agreed to make the movie as long as she could write do the theme song. For yeah. It. So I mean, her music definitely was a key was a key component of this mm-hmm. movie. Well, I and I feel like obviously into the groove was a huge part of desperately seeking Susan and that movie kind of showed us I mean obviously Madonna wasn't Susan in real life but there was this kind of gritty New York kind of underground vibe that she occupied that was also pretty true to her life and that movie kind of you know I don't think either of those movies could have existed without Dolly Parton or Madonna I see where you're going with that and I will I will give you that. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I will count. I will argue that Dolly Parton was fairly successful already. Yeah. And a known person within longer for a longer period of time within it, definitely her in country music mm-hmm. and some mainstream music as mm-hmm. well. Whereas Desperately Seeking Susan came out rather early in Madonna's career. Yes. So it's more of kind of a like another vehicle to launch her. Mm-hmm. I think Dolly Parton had more of a, at this time, there was a little more control she had in her career. Whereas it mm-hmm. seemed like this was still really early in Madonna's mm-hmm. career. So I agree with that. if the movie, like the movie and the movie was not as desperately seeking Susan in a lot of ways was not as successful as nine mm-hmm. to five. It didn't have, I mean, a lot of the other actors were not as well known. Yeah. So it probably didn't launch Madonna in a same way as Dolly Parton was, but I, I see the connection that you're making and, and I'll give you that. I mean, especially because both of the leads are musicians. I mean, Earth. Yeah, I mean, that might be the only, like, real true <laughs> connection I can say there. And they're blonde-ish. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> emphasis on the ish. <laughs> but um, I think, that, I mean, I read some interesting things about Dolly Parton uh, in making this movie. Like, this is her first movie. Okay. And Jane Fonda really wanted her to be in it. She thought that Dora Lee would be a good part for her. Um, She was so nervous that she learned everyone's lines. (laughs) And when she got to the set to start doing it, she she knew so little about how movies were made that she thought movies were shot in sequence Mm. from like how the movie started and then, you know, whatever, and didn't realize they were shot out of sequence. I mean, right. (laughs) So innocent and cute, right? So precious. Um, But, you know, from that point on any movie that she was in, she, she like, she knew that it was also a vehicle for her career. Yeah. In a sense that it was like she she had for every movie, I think, except Steel Magnolias, any movie that she's been in, she's made the theme song for it. Mm. And she writes that into her contract. Got it. Well, good you for know, her. I mean, she and I recently and, and um, just yesterday I was watching a um, an interview with her um, on TV with Brian Johnson. And um, she had talked about how she could like never retire. She's 73. <laughs> Which you can only tell because, you know, 
of all the surgeries she's had. I mean, she's done a lot to her face and everything. And she's talked about how she can't retire. Because why would she, number one? Because she enjoys doing what she yeah. does. But also, um, she has a whole... I mean, she's she's a corporation. She's she's become consolidated. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, but nice. You know, what yeah. consolidated become because, I mean, so many people depend on her. She's got Dollywood. She has so many charities that she works with. I mean, she's she in charge a, of like a big literacy program. She has a huge literacy program and everything like that. So, I mean, to see her go from this movie and how that has like just taken off oh, everything yeah. that she's done. Yeah. You know, not just her music career and then gone into all these other things that she's done. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is really that first one. So yeah. good for her. Yeah. She's, she's incredible. I'm, I'm starting to learn more about her now. I think there's a new show on Netflix that has, um, that's about her and well, it's called, it's, it's, about it's not music. really, it's not really about her. What it is, is it's, it's about, it's, it's like an anthology series mm-hmm. and the stories in the show are based on her songs. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of country songs are like little stories, mm-hmm. you know, and so they've kind of taken those stories and gotcha. made little episodes out of them. Gotcha. Well, so it'd be nice to, I'd, I'd like to learn more about Dolly Parton. Mm. <sighs> well, yeah, this is these two movies were fun to watch together. Um, Dabney Coleman, man, he he has a range. I mean, I love in the fantasy scene where Dora Lee is totally sexualizing Frank because he's playing her assistant. Oh you know, my she's God. like, yeah, there's something. Like, hey, really hot gonna... stuff, get your buns in mm-hmm. here, and just how she is just relentless with him. It is so hilarious. There's a there's a line that she says something about like the suit he's wearing and how it frames his package or oh, something yeah. like you that. Need take, you need to get your pants taken out a little bit so we could see everything. Oh yeah. It's, it's great. I mean, and what's funny is it sounds more ridiculous coming out of a woman about a man and the man being so sheepish about it. But you know, we hear it more out of men than we do women. So yeah. of course it's going to sound weird, but the content, you know, the content of what they were both saying is basically the same. Yeah. <sighs> we're scumbags. <laughs> no, some of you are. Some Not of all us of are you. Scumbags, yeah. But you know, these, these two movies were a lot of fun to talk about. Yeah, apparently, also like Dabney Coleman after this movie really got kind of pigeonholed as like a like a villainous kind of kind of character. And yeah, we're going to talk about him as a villain in another movie. I mean, war in a games. Weeks. I mean, Our War Phoenix. Games and uh, Muppets Take Manhattan. I mean, mm-hmm. he had this kind of like, you got kind of pigeonholed in that. And then mm-hmm. I guess also he had a television series for a while mm. that um, he had kind of a, a gruff kind of villainous kind of character. Also, um, since I mentioned television, 9 to 5 actually got made into a television series that ran for quite a while. Oh, really? From 82 to 88. Wow. Yeah, and Dolly Parton's sister, I believe, was on it. Wow. Molly Parton? <clears throat> no. <laughs> no. But Holly uh, Parton? No, but no. But I I didn't even I don't even remember that show. I don't remember it. Either. I don't remember it either. But the, the show I remember of ladies in a workplace in the eighties was like designing women. That's the show I probably remember more. Yeah. I mean, that's probably very different cause they were like the owners of that business. Yeah. But I mean, doesn't mean that you're still not dealing with baloney and garbage. Maybe they're harassing, um, whatever the assistant guy's name was. Not 
And you know who was in Designing Women? Jean Smart. And she's in a show that Matt and I are currently watching called Watchmen. Oh, my God. She's amazing in that. Was she in, the, was she in that show at the beginning, though? Yes. She was? She was an OG Designing Women lady. Oh, okay. All right. Well, Anyways. wow. 25. 25 Woo! episodes. Yay. That's great. Well, Congrats thanks. to us. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Go ahead and follow us, rate us, listen to us. Subscribe. All the good things. We really appreciate it. Please check out these movies. Send us comments. Send us emails. We'd love your feedback. About this stuff. It's fun to kind of interact. Definitely. Or don't. Whatever. (laughs) Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye.